Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today, I did want to talk um, about community and about being together as a church, and I'm, I'm just really passionate about this. I our, our proof uh, as Jesus followers is found in our community and the way that we do community and how well we love each other and that kind of, I, I think this is the future of the church. As a church, we've got to have strong relationships with our brothers and sisters. If you're going to make it, you've got to have strong relationships with your brothers and sisters in the church. If you're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, if you're going to do anything of note for the kingdom of God, it will not be done by yourself. Oh, amen, somebody. Come on, y'all just said two scoops are better than one. Don't you believe it? Amen. I, so I, I really, I really, 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 really am very passionate about the community and the relationships that we build at this church. I just think um, it's, it's the thing that we've got to get right. We've got to get this right. But in our, in our society, in our world today, we're just, there's a lot of focus on self in our world, isn't there? Selfies. Anybody heard of selfies? That's right. Anybody heard of duck lips? God forgive you for duck lips selfies. I, I just want to say that right now. But, you know, we're, we're the selfie generation. We really are. And did you all know that Disney actually banned selfie sticks a little while ago, a couple years ago? Disney banned selfie sticks because what was happening is people were taking out these selfie sticks, which, you know, like puts your phone about three feet away from you so you can take a picture of yourself. And people were hitting other people in the heads with their selfie sticks. Or other people walking by were running in to their selfie sticks. There were literally lots, so many reports of people being injured by selfie sticks that Disney banned selfie sticks in their parks. Because generally when people are taking selfies, they are not very aware of the people that are around them. It's kind of the definition of a selfie, right? And if you ever, anybody ever taken like a group selfie? It's like three, four, five of y'all, right? And you, you get, when you look at that picture on the phone after you take a group selfie, what's the first thing you look at? Yourself, that's right. Even in a group selfie, you have managed to make that about yourself. And if your eyes were half closed or if your duck lips weren't ducky enough, you're saying, let's take another one, right? So, it's the first thing you care about. Junior's always like that when I try and take selfies. Oh, my lips are not puffy enough. Do one more, pastor. Can you do one more? But we, we are. We're, we're kind of in a selfie generation. And, and then we're not even just consumed with ourselves, but really our society and our world is set up to kind of encourage us to be consumed with ourselves. Think about how many health clubs there are. There's 24-hour fitness. There's 19 fitness. There's any time fitness. There is boot camp fitness. There is like all these different kinds of fitness, right? I, I'm into fitness. I'm into fitting a hamburger in my, fitting this hamburger in my mouth. That's the fitness that I'm, I said the joke wrong. It crashed. Oh, well, but health clubs are all around. There are life coaches. Did you know that you can get a life coach? You can do a life coach to focus on yourself. You can hire a private tutor. You can hire a personal trainer. You can hire, there are more therapists in our world than there have ever been. I mean, it's common knowledge, right? That you in our world in 2018, if you're gonna be an educated and productive member of society, you need to exercise three times a week to work on your health. You need to eat right to take care of your body. 
You need to journal your thoughts so you can deal with your issues or maybe get some counseling for your past. You need to set goals for your future and invest in your retirement. And you need to do some work to make your relationships better. Your, 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 my, 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 self, self, self. Self. And yet all the studies and all the research from psychology, I'm not talking about research, uh, uh, religious people, from psychologists and psychiatrists and, and people that look at emotional health in the U.S., they tell us in, in study after study and poll after poll, Americans, Americans, we're supposed to be the greatest nation on, on the planet. Americans are more lonely than we have ever been at any point in our history. We're more insecure, we're more depressed, and we have more anxiety than we ever have had, and we're supposed to be consumed with our self and making our self better. So maybe you think some help, you, you, maybe you think you need some help. So you come to a church and then the church's message is great. Die to yourself. You read the Bible and the Bible says, die to yourself. So you start focusing on how to die to yourself. You submit your thoughts to Christ. You pray that the Holy Spirit would show fruit in your life. You try and figure out ways to share your faith. And you try and figure out how to renew your mind. You try and forgive those who do you wrong. You're supposed to remember where God found you and then you're supposed to rest your hope and your faith in what God has promised you. And I think I'm starting to learn something at the tender young age of 42. It's really hard to die to myself when I mostly focus on myself. Because even in the church's message about dying to self We've made it all about us. It's all about self. And so we struggle with this as Christians, man. And we have this, this self-imposed guilt and we come up with these self-imposed goals of making ourselves better. And we work harder on ourselves and have more discipline for ourselves. We pray about ourselves more. We find devotionals that focus on our shortcomings. We look for scriptures that speak to our circumstances. And we read spiritual books that are supposed to feed our souls. And in all our work to fix ourselves, if we're not careful, we can lose ourselves by focusing on ourselves. The focus was never supposed to be on yourself. And so Christians are becoming burnout Christians, tired Christians, frustrated Christians, angry Christians. And there's a reason why, even as Christian, our world seems to tumble into chaos time and time again. And there's, it's simply this principle that there's not enough gravity in yourself to keep your world in orbit. That's good, somebody. I, I like that one. Had to pat myself on the back this morning. But you don't have enough gravity in yourself to keep your world in orbit. You're not big enough. You were made for something bigger. You're not great enough. You were designed for something greater. But when we still focus on ourselves, even as Christians, we, we come away frustrated and, and disappointed sometimes that we're still struggling with something. You know, I, I thought I'd be farther by now. I thought it'd be more different by now. I am different, but I thought it'd be more different than, you know, by now. I, I thought I'd be past that thing that keeps getting my goat, keeps riling me up. And I bet you know what I'm talking about. You've probably been disciplining yourself and working on yourself. And a lot of times it doesn't seem to work. Or maybe even as a Christian, it doesn't seem to work very well. 
or it doesn't seem to work for very long, right? Can I get an amen from anybody honest in church this morning? But then there's something amazing that happens every once in a while. There's every once in a while, we'll, we'll run into somebody and we'll begin to talk to somebody and, and something happens that, that takes us by surprise because we'll be in the middle of a trouble or a, a pain or a trial or a, you know, a frustration and then we'll hear somebody else tell about their greater pain or their greater trouble or their greater frustration. And for a few moments, even in the middle of trying to fix ourselves, for a few moments, we can actually be thankful for whatever frustration we have. When we hear their story, we can actually be thankful for whatever pain it is that we are facing. You ever had that happen? Isn't that an amazing thing when you really think about what's going on there? Or maybe sometimes it happens like this. Someone is actually telling their story of how they came through a season of trouble or pain. They came through a frustration or got past a hangup or something that kept tripping them up over and over and over again. And just by listening to their words, it's like their words do the spiritual CPR on your hope. And somehow after just hearing someone else's story, you can begin to hope again. You can begin to believe again and, and square your shoulders and get energy for another day. Notice that just by hearing their story, your circumstances didn't change. You're still hurting. You still don't have any money in the bank. You checked right before I came up here this morning. You know what I'm talking about. The mountain's still there. The relationship is still broken. You're still struggling with that thing, that mindset, that person. But out of someone else's story comes this beautiful and unexpected comfort comes this beautiful and unexpected peace or encouragement from the Lord and suddenly we're energized for another try, another day, another prayer. Isn't that amazing? Turn around and ask somebody, isn't that something? What is that? What is it about someone else's misery that makes my misery easier? What is it about someone else's pain that makes my pain more manageable. And I don't know that I can explain it all, and that's not even the point of what I'm talking about today, but we can't deny that especially in our times of pain and frustration, when we, the, the, the tendency is to simply focus on ourselves more, think we need to discipline ourselves more, we cannot deny that life can get better when we are with someone besides just ourselves. You can't deny it. We can't deny it. We all have experienced it. And so you might think, well, then the point is uh, of Jared's message today, okay, now I can sit back and cross my arms because now I know what Jared's gonna tell me. He's gonna tell me to stop focusing on myself and I need to spend more time with other believers. And yes, I am gonna tell you that, but you've probably tried that before, haven't you? If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you have heard some version of the message that I am bringing you today. And so what I want to leave you with is not just the idea that this needs to happen, but I wanna talk about a couple of the things that actually stop this from happening over time because I think we, we need to figure it out so that we can stop getting frustrated and stopping after we have started you know, for any length of time. I can remember... Um, as I got to prepare all this and, and think about all this stuff, I can remember when I was somewhere around like 12 years old, somewhere in there, um, and my mom was cleaning my room one day, and she, for whatever reason, moved my dresser and cleaned behind my dresser and found my cassette tape of hardcore gangster rap. 
I'm not even gonna say the dude's name. It was gross, it was disgusting. I think me and my friend, you know, Chris, we listened to it with this perpetual like, you know, look on our face. We weren't even sure what he was talking about half the time, but that's what the cool kids do. And my mom found that cassette tape and put that tape in the tape player and probably pulled a back muscle lunging to shut it off after playing it. So then my dad came home. She told him, and then I came home, and he pulled me in the garage. That's where you have serious conversations, is in the garage. And he pulled me in the garage to ask me about the tape, where I had gotten it, and asked me where I had come into contact with this. And I did what any mature and responsible young man of character would do when faced with that. I said I got it from Chris. (laughs) That was Chris's tape. Chris gave me the tape. Chris told me it was cool. Chris made me listen to it. I didn't want to, but I was trying to win Chris to the Lord, so I needed to find some common ground so I could lead him from his darkness. And Dad made me smash the tape, Chris's tape. Then I went over to Chris's house later, and I explained what had happened, and I remember Chris asking me, you didn't tell him the tape was mine, right? My silence was deafening. But you know what that episode did to my friendship with Chris? My elementary school friend, Chris, my best friend forever before there were ever BFFs. You know what that episode did to my friendship with Chris? Nothing. You want to know how many times Chris spent the night over my house after that? Tons of times. You want to know how many other hardcore gangster rap tapes Chris gave me after that? One. He gave me one other one. (laughs) He did. And I, I've left it in my gym bag and thought my mom found that one. And so I just took it in the garage and started smashing it. Turns out she hadn't seen it. And my dad comes home and says, what are you doing? And I ended up telling on myself. But there was something about that friendship. You guys know what I'm talking about? You remember your, your friends as kids? Remember those elementary friendships? I mean, they're almost unbreakable. There's a loyalty in in young school-age kids. I mean, the relationship is low-maintenance, and it's forgiving. And, and, you know, are there fights and disagreements? Yeah, but things are just simpler. And you're mad, but you're still friends. And it doesn't really matter, right? And you don't care about clothes. You don't care if the other person brushed their teeth or not. You don't care what brand of bike they rode or if they're weird or if they're smelly even. You just don't care. And in, in those elementary relationships and friendships, you're free to be yourself because there is no fear of yourself being rejected. Nobody rejects you. It's not that we didn't notice when the other kids were smelly. We just gave them a nickname and made them play outfield, but they were still our friends. But there was no rejection. There was no pushing away. And we didn't know, it's not that we didn't notice when someone was poor. It was just usually us. So we went over Chris's house at snack time. You know, it just, you're just friends. You're just good friends. But then you grow up and you start worrying about what other people are going to say about you. You start worrying about what other people say if you hang around with a smelly kid all of a sudden, right? They're going to say you're smelly too. And you start worrying about deodorant. All of a sudden, acne becomes a deal breaker in a friendship and fashion, fashion. Anybody ever, you know, have to buy shoes at Payless Shoes? We did. 
my dad was so awesome. We, I mean, we were broker than a joker. And, you know, you don't know it when you're kids. All you know is that your dad's taking you to buy shoes and the kind that he's buying you at Payless Shoes aren't the cool kind that the other kids have and you know you're going to get made fun of. My dad, he bought us those shoes and we came home and I was, I, I told you guys the other ungrateful story about me when I was a kid with the bike. I was a horrible kid. I don't know why he didn't put me up for adoption again, uh, but just, I was a horrible kid and dad actually took me back. I don't know what they had to sacrifice, but dad actually took me back to Foot Locker. When you're buying shoes at Foot Locker, you were cool, man. Bought me some BK Knights. Come on, somebody, some British Knights. Uh, styling and profiling. But, you know, peg pants, and puffy hair and everything else going on way back then. But you just start, you, you start worrying about these things. Fashion and, and acne and body odor and, and, and girls still have cooties, but you're suddenly very open to contracting their disease. Can I hear an amen? You know, but just... But by this time in life, you have suddenly and probably experienced some kind of rejection. At some point, you have been excluded. At some point, you, did, you realize you don't eat lunch with the cool kids anymore. And you notice when you weren't invited and you're not sure how it happened or when it happened and it seems like magic because the kid that never used to brush his teeth is suddenly the coolest kid in school. And What in the world is going on there? Like how in the world did all of this flip around? And then you move into late teens and adulthood and Honestly, things just get even worse, right? People, you know, the, the person you're dating decides that they're not exclusive, but they didn't tell you. I mean, you know, somebody you thought you were going to spend forever with says goodbye, or maybe it was a friendship where trust was broken. Come on, this is starting to get serious now, right? A friendship you had where trust was broken. A secret that you shared with one suddenly got shared with everyone. And you discovered you had different values, you had different character dividers, if you want to say, or compartments, and you're, maybe you found yourself competing for the same job, or maybe you found yourself competing for the same person. Maybe you found yourself competing for the same promotion. Maybe it was even more permanent than that. Maybe you bought furniture together. Maybe you got an apartment together. Maybe you even had children together at some point, and suddenly you are looking back at whole seasons of life. That rejection is turning into years that we consider wasted. And we wish we could go back and get them back, but we can't. And it's because of rejection by somebody at some point. And it hurts us and it wounds us and it leaves scars. And we're never really the same after that. And it does serious damage to our self-esteem and our self-worth. And, and we start to wonder if being together really is better because we remember the pain we remember that sick feeling in the pit of our stomach and we just, we just don't want that again. We don't ever want to go through that again. I don't want to cry like that again. I don't want to have heartache like that again. And honestly, really, we think we need to protect ourselves from being hurt again, but the real danger is that we become untouchable. We become unhurtable. Our hearts become unbreakable. And now we're back to where we started. I'm going to forget everybody else and I'm just going to focus on my myself. Back to focusing on myself. And besides, you know, if we just focus on ourselves, isn't it kind of easier? Because we get to call all the shots. If we just focus on ourselves, we don't have to worry about anybody else's opinion. We don't have to spend that game where you take 20 minutes to ask, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, let's go here. No, I don't want to go there. Well, then where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? 
You don't have to meet somebody else's unrealistic expectations. You don't have to worry about whether or not a social situation or might become awkward, right? Ever notice when someone else invites you out, you think about where they invite you to? Think, well, I don't know if I really want to go there. Ever notice when a neighbor invites you over, you think, you know, first thought is kind of, well, man, that's gonna be really awkward. I'm not sure if I wanna be in that awkward situation anymore. It's not about what's best for our relationship. It's not about what's best for us. It's about I and whether or not I want to go there. And since I'm focusing on me, Now, you see what's behind it all? You see what's in there, kind of interwoven in all that? It's selfishness. We all have this strain of selfishness inside and past hurts and past rejections and past wounds can actually strengthen our natural tendency towards selfishness. Our past can end up justifying our selfishness. But we're okay because I tried it once. We don't think we're selfish because I did that before and I got burned and I'm never going to do that again. And then maybe if you're in the church world and some version of this happened in the church world, there's this other idea that kind of creeps into our measuring of ourself and our evaluating of ourselves. if we're not careful. And we start to think that the true mark of spirituality is when we only need Jesus and we just don't need other people anymore. Hello, somebody. That is not true. That is never true. That never has been true and that never will be true. And if you arrive at that conclusion in your spiritual journey, you have left the path. You've left the path. We looked at Genesis chapter two last week in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to... Now Jesus is all you need for salvation. But when it comes to your purpose... And when it comes to thriving as a human being, when it comes to finding healing and a brighter future, when it comes to seeing all of the aspects of God's character and beginning and being able to praise him for the diversity of his his mercy and his miracles and his power, I'm telling you, you will never be fulfilled on your own. You need your brothers and sisters. It's not just good for you to be around your brothers. You need them. You need them. Come on, tell somebody close to you this morning, I need you. Come on and tell somebody close to you, you need me. See, I don't think we mean to get to this place. I don't think we intend to feel this way, but somewhere along the line, we start or we have started measuring our spiritual health by our private prayer time, by our private Bible reading by our private consecration or how often I attend church, whether or not I connect with anybody or whether or not I actually be the church. It's just about whether or not I showed up at church. But Jesus said, the way that we know we are really his disciples is by how well we love one another. And if your Bible reading does not cause the way that you interact with other people to grow and develop and flourish, then you're reading your Bible for the wrong reasons. That's hard. That's hard. Because it's easier just to focus on myself. It's easier just to work on myself. And I think there are a lot of reasons why we might find it hard to admit that we need other people. And so 
the rest of this message today, I just want to focus on two things. And the first reason that we might find it hard to admit that we need other people is that it's hard to admit I need others when I don't feel, or when I feel others don't understand me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know if I can fit in. I don't know if I'll have a place there. I don't know if I can belong to that group of friends or that group of people. The older we get, the more we learn about ourselves. And the more we learn about ourselves, the more we feel like we need to isolate ourselves and only be with people who are just exactly like ourselves. I'm amazed, you know, Chelsea's in in early childhood education. I'm down here with the preschool, you know, throughout the week. I'm amazed. Preschoolers don't even care if you're a boy or girl. They just want to play. And then they get a little bit older and they find out they're boys and that's a girl and girls have cooties and automatically their friend pool gets cut in half. Like the world, they're friends, they're possible friends. It shrinks. And then, you know, you get into school and high school and we just talked about that. And you, you start learning about socioeconomic differences. You start learning about cliques and clubs and the jocks and the nerds, right? And the goths and everybody's kind of worried about that. And, you know, this kid and that group and I don't know where I, and, and then you get into young adulthood and you find out about different personality types. Well, I'm an introvert, so I need to stay in my room. Well, I'm an extrovert and I think introverts are boring. And then social media tells you that if you're a Democrat, you can't like a Republican. Or if you're a Republican, you can't like a Democrat. And so your pool of friends gets smaller and smaller and smaller the more you learn about yourself. Learning about ourselves can end up isolating ourselves. It's crazy how that works. And every time you label yourself as something, and someone else as something else. You shrink the number of people that you can connect with. And in all of our efforts to discover me, we have lost the beauty of the diversity of we. In seeing my way as the only way, I have lost the beauty of the prism of diversity, how that God can unite us from all kinds of experiences and backgrounds and make us all of different colors and all of different paths, but arrange us into the most beautiful combination of color that we will never find if we are alone. It's amazing. And if it's hard to admit that we need our brothers and sisters, and if it's all of our many differences that are coming between us, then maybe we as the body of Christ have forgotten the beautiful unity that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter our different backgrounds. It doesn't matter how old you are when you came to God, how bad your sins were, or you weren't really a very bad sin. It does not matter all the Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, black, white. It does not matter to Jesus Christ. He has rescued us from a diversity of sin and darkness and Thank God, thank God that we have been made one in Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Galatians, says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's not slave or free anymore. What does that do to the political discussion that's out there nowadays? How do we wrestle with that phrase? That gets tough, doesn't it? There is neither... We got quiet in here. Sorry, I'm not going to stay there today. I'm not going to... You can breathe, breathe. Okay, okay. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. 
All of the differences that our society is trying to throw. Do you see them there? A book written 2,000 years ago and it's like you could have pulled the headlines out of today's news. But in Jesus, in Jesus, it doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter our wounds. It doesn't even matter if you were doing the wounding. He can change you. He can transform you. Beholding Christ, everything has been made new. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul is reminding the Galatians that a new thing has happened. And it doesn't matter your race or your social status or your gender or your office or your pedigree. We have been made one. Not in our opinions, not in our experiences, not in our expressions, but in Christ Jesus. We have been made one. And everyone else that is in Christ Jesus, they can get me now. Because I tell you what, we do all share in common. We were sinners. We had hurt others. We had offended others. We had abandoned others. All of us have abuses and shameful sectors of our history. But in Christ Jesus, we have been saved by the only one that could forgive us and wash us. The only one that could show us a new path forward. I'm telling you, don't look to the leaders of this world to show you a new path forward. They're flawed, just like you. And neither do you need to demean the people that are trying to figure out a new path forward. They're just like you, but it's never gonna happen outside of the only perfect one, the high and exalted one, the name who, the one whose name we sing about today. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus. And if these holy Jews and unholy Gentiles could learn to coexist, if slave and free, and there was all kinds of different, don't don't confuse that with the racial slavery of America, but I don't want to dive into it today. If men and women could be put on a level status in a day where women were more property than person, then surely in 2018, a spirit-filled Democrat and a spirit-filled Republican, you didn't even think that was possible. A spirit-filled Democrat, you can laugh, it's okay. Spirit-filled Republican, surely we can embrace and love each other. Surely extroverts and introverts can come together and love each other. Surely black and white can come together and love each other and give ourselves for one another just like the one, just like the one who has made us one in himself, in himself. Surely this church, surely City Grace can come together together and show our world his love in action. Surely our assembly, hello, spirit-filled city grace. Come on, people who worship Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ. Surely we can show our world how to forgive each other for the past, how to move forward together in love and in unity, how I can lay down my life for you and how you offer to lay down your life for me. And when we one another, one another. I love that phrase. Forgive one another. Submit to one another care for one another, bear one another's birth. When we one another, one another, we can show this world something that is not even possible without Jesus, but with him, it is possible. With him, it's happened this morning.
I, I, I got to thinking about this. You know, in our church, there's so much diversity. So much diversity. You can find commonality in this church. It might be an old white lady that teaches you how to pray. Hello. It might be a young black believer that teaches you about compassion. Yeah. You're not young, Brother Mike. We need a young black brother. Maybe an old black brother can teach you about humor. I don't know what it is. Maybe a tatted up believer can teach you about compassion for different backgrounds. Maybe take a single parent grocery shop and it'll teach you about gratitude and trusting God for provision. We have so much we can learn from one another. We have so much to offer one another. God curse the division that is trying to rip us apart. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the power of Pentecost and Calvary that brings us together and shows our world a brand new day. Oh, come on, give praise to the king. Come on, give praise to the one that makes it possible. Oh. oh, Jesus, help us. Maybe it's a Bible study over coffee with an elder that teaches you about the riches of God's word. Don't despise that relationship. Don't think that that friendship has nothing to offer you because there are all these other categories that would tell you that there's nobody that can get you. I'm telling you, it's a lie of the enemy. We are different, but we have been made one. We've been made one. We have been saved individually to be placed collectively into the body of Christ. One last reason that we find it hard to admit that we need each other. And if the first reason is compounded by our selfishness, the second reason partners with our pride. I'm going to use a word this morning. I thought about using the word idiot, but I think the word idiot is too harsh for the pulpit. You read Matthew 5, and Jesus pretty much said that that word can put you in danger of hell. But I'm going to use the word dummy, and I don't want it to be too offensive, but I want it to be a little bit offensive. And I've thought this about other people. And I've said this about other people, and other people I am quite sure have said and thought this about me. Because I have been a dummy. Hello, Dummies Anonymous. Hi, my name is Jared. There you go. Come on, you know what's up. I saw you there last week in the meeting. Come on. You ever called tech support? Get transferred five times? Someone puts you on hold for another transfer and they end up hanging up on you? Dummy. Ever sit at a stoplight and the light turns green, the car in front of you doesn't go because they're texting or checking Facebook? Dummy. What about Saturday at 6 a.m. when your neighbor decides it's a good time to mow the lawn? Dummy. What about that meeting at work, three hours of bad ideas, and at the end of it, the manager said, let's table all this till next week? Dummy. But you got to be careful with that one. Smile and shake his hand because he's writing your paycheck. Come on, somebody. Don't be a... Yeah. <laughs> what about when a friend on social media posts that political insult and demeans your values and mischaracterizes your views? Dummy. But please throw away your keyboard. Don't type back. Please don't do it. Hello. But everyone around me is a dummy. My world is filled with dummies 
here and there and everywhere. <laughs> My world is filled with dummies. And if everyone around me is a dummy, then when I'm hurting and when I'm depressed or when I'm struggling with an addiction or I have marriage problems, the Lord made that kid scream out right then. Somebody, when, when I have an angry child, I don't want a dummy speaking into my life. You'll never go looking for advice from a dummy because you don't want their dummy rubbing off on your genius, do you? Oh, come on, somebody. And seeing others as less than ourselves is a huge obstacle to community. It will keep you from small groups. It will make you not sign up for love where you live day. And if you don't sign up for love where you live day before you leave today, you are a... No, I'm just... I'm just I'll say it. Don't say it. <laughs> if anyone, if anyone, if anyone had the right to look down on others, it was the one who is above all. If there's anyone who has the right and stands in a place where he can call you a dummy, it is the one that knows you not just at your best moments, but at all of those worst moments that you hope nobody ever sees. Think, oh man, come on, I, I, come on, you guys know where I'm going with this. Come on, can you give him praise because he loves us? Come on, can you see it already? Come on, can you see it coming in my message this morning? Oh Jesus, Jesus, you have served me. You have made yourself low. For me, Jesus, and I love you, and I love you. Jesus, the Bible says of Jesus that he was tempted in all points like we are. And I have to believe that one of those temptations was to look at his 12 closest disciples at various times in his ministry and say, dummies, dummies. I mean, after all, think about this. What value could his disciples add to his life? Think about it. What can you add to Jesus? He's perfect. You can't make Jesus greater. He's the greatest. You can't make him better. He's the best. What value could Jesus' disciples add to him? What value do we add to Jesus? We're so low, but for our sake, he became lower. Oh, Jesus, we love you. I'm amazed as I read, you know, and we're kind of throwing the disciples under the bus. I'm amazed. You know, one time Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he gets beheaded. He's, he's, he's dead, and Jesus didn't get a chance to go see him before he died. And so Jesus withdraws to be alone, and he actually gets in a boat to sail to the other side of a lake. And the crowd knows it. His followers know it. And so they run around the side of the lake to meet Jesus where he's going to land. And his 12 closest followers don't even keep them away so Jesus can have space. And now Jesus, who's, who's grieving and mourning, he, all he sees when he starts to get off the boat is a crowd of people and his disciples not doing anything to keep him back. And all they're saying is, where's the miracle worker? We want Jesus to heal us. We want Jesus to feed us. We want Jesus to help us. They won't even let him. Talk about socially unaware people. Talk about people with zero emotional intelligence. And if there was ever a time and ever a moment when Jesus could have looked at all of them and said, dummies, 
But instead, Matthew 14 and 14 tells us when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. It's crazy. It's crazy that he didn't see them as dummies. He didn't think less of them. The same setting. They're all there. There's thousands of people, maybe 10,000 to 15,000 people around Jesus in the setting. And as he's doing all this stuff, healing legs, opening eyes, you know, healing people of the flu, whatever it is, just doing all this stuff, suddenly his disciples come to him and they don't ask him, Jesus, do you need a break or anything like this? They tell him, Jesus, uh, we got something else for you to fix. Everybody's hungry. <laughs> Thanks, guys. What a huge help you are, you know? Dummies, right? Like I'm over here growing a guy's leg. Can you, you know, can you come up with a chicken leg? You know, like something... They didn't eat chicken, but whatever. Just And, and it's the same setting. And, and Jesus tells them, well, you fix it. You feed them. And so it's like they go away for a little bit and they come back and they say, well, the best we could do is, is there's like 10 to 15,000 people here. And what we came up with is one little boy's sack lunch. It's dinner time, but he didn't eat his lunch. And it's got five loaves of bread and two fishes in it, Jesus. That's the best we could do. To which Jesus should have said, dummies. Again, great help, guys. I just lost my cousin, and you guys can't even come up with the dinner arrangements, right? But Jesus doesn't call them that. He doesn't say anything to them. He takes what they bring him, and he performs another miracle. And in the time of his grieving, in the time of his sorrow, he feeds and gives to all of the people there around him and never thinks less of them. Jesus was so much of a better person than me. One chapter later, Matthew 15, one chapter later, they're again in the same type of scenario. But it's a smaller crowd this time. Smaller crowd this time. And this time, Jesus brings up the problem to his disciples. And I think he remembered what happened last chapter and he wanted to see if they learned. Guys, everybody's getting hungry. What are you gonna do? And it's like the disciples go away and they come back and they say, well, Jesus, all we can do, you know, we found somebody else's lunch today. This guy has seven loaves and a few fish. <laughs> that was their help. Jesus should have said, dummies, at least the math is better than what we had yesterday. Smaller crowd, more fish, right? Surely Jesus must have been frustrated. Surely Jesus must have thought, why am I still hanging out with these guys? These are the guys. And then later on, I mean, time, there's, there's episode after episode of his disciples doing this. And he, later on, he's done a happy meal trick. He's cast a demon out of a young boy. He's shown him a laser show hologram up on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, all this stuff. And then his disciples get into a fight over who's going to be vice president and vice vice president in the kingdom. And then James and John, it seemed like maybe they're losing the argument. They asked their mom to come and ask Jesus for them. They got mom involved. He's like, really, guys, you're going to have your mom come as These are the guys that are going to change the world. These are the guys that are going to be in charge of my movement when I'm gone. And so he takes them to the Last Supper and they have the last night together. And they start the same old fight in the Last Supper room. And he doesn't call them dummies. And he never insults them. But he puts on the uniform of a servant and he stoops and he washes their feet. And he tells them, if I'm the president and I'm doing this, how much more are you? should do for and should serve one another. And Judas betrays and Peter fails. 
And Thomas doesn't even believe that he can be raised from the dead. And time and time again, we're shown the faults of Jesus' followers. And yet he sees no one as less than, no one as worthless, no one as a dummy. But instead he trusts them. He leads them and he teaches them. He could have done it all alone, but he didn't. He could have done it all alone, but he didn't. And he could have left us all alone, but he didn't. He could have left us on our own, but he didn't. Oh, come on, somebody this morning. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus stick with him? And I think the reason that he did is to teach us that you don't need perfect people to be in community. In fact, I think Jesus wants us to know that sometimes you're with a dummy, and sometimes... You are the dummy. I've made people wait at stoplights. Ask our leaders. I've wasted their time in meetings before. I've yelled at Chelsea and hurt her feelings. Who would hurt Chelsea's feelings? She's like the nicest person in the world. I'm a dummy. Hello, I have yelled at my kids in public and embarrassed them. I had not one but two tapes of gangster rap. I am a dummy, not just sometimes, most of the time, I am a dummy. And hello, somebody, can you admit that about yourself as well? We're all different, and we all have moments of strength, but we all seem to have a lot more moments of weaknesses, and we all have different experiences that we bring to the table. But community is valuable because it brings us together, not because it makes us the same. And that's what Jesus wanted to show us. That for each of our differences, he has given grace. For each of our failures, he has multiplied mercy. Oh, failure, failures. In so many different arenas and facets of life, we have hurt the people around us and rejected God. But for each of our failures, we have found mercy. And for all of our weaknesses, his strength was made perfect when we were dummies. And so Jesus teaches us, you're better together. You're better together. Come on up, musicians. You're better together. Jesus found community with those who weren't worthy of his company. And Jesus empowered those who were unworthy of his power. Jesus shared his darkest moment with men who fell asleep when he needed them the most. He did all of this. And if Jesus found that life and mission were better together, shouldn't we? Shouldn't you? Shouldn't you realize that you can't do it on your own? Shouldn't you realize that you can't cut yourself off from the body of Christ? Shouldn't you realize that you need to be in a small group? Shouldn't you realize that you need to share lunch while you're swinging a hammer with somebody on Love Where You Live Day? Shouldn't we realize that we need to go out to coffee with one another and to invite each other over to kick their feet under our table and to eat food that we have provided because we want to show our love for them? Shouldn't we get past all the political division that's trying so hard to rip us apart? Shouldn't we get past all the prejudice and the hate? Shouldn't we share with each other if the one who shared with us told us this way is better? This way is better. And you need one another. You need 
one another. Can we all stand this morning? This morning, in just a moment, I'm going to invite us all to come around the front and we're going to sing this song, Jesus at the Center of It All. But before we do, let me pray for you today. Jesus, I pray that we would lose this idea, this concept of a Lone Ranger type Christian. Jesus, I pray that in each and every one of us, you would start stirring our hearts, that we measure our spiritual health. We take our spiritual pulse, Jesus, not by how many hours a day we read the Bible, not by how many hours a week we pray or if we fasted for 14 days this year or two days or not any days. God, all of it helps. None of those things are to be diminished and thrown away or discarded as not important, but all of them, Jesus, should lead us to the greater truth that we were created for purpose. We were created for each other. That you, in my experience, have planted the seed of strength, God, that could be the answer for someone else's trial. Jesus, that you have given my brother and my sister a testimony, a story that can speak into my pain. And Jesus, give me hope when all seems to be in despair. I need my brothers, Jesus. I need my sisters, Jesus. We need each other's city grace. This church family needs each other. And the way that this world will know that we are your disciples is by the intense love that we have for one another. When we take ourselves out of our comfort zone and bring ourselves together for the purpose of unity, Jesus, use us, speak through us, breathe your Holy Spirit into us, we pray. In the beautiful name of Jesus, in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.